Are you aware that Satan does not want you to assemble with us to worship God today? In fact, Satan does not want you to worship God any time. Satan will do everything in his power that he can to get us to stop worshiping God and to stop worshiping Him properly. Satan has three lines of attack, three questions that he wants us to ask regarding the worship assembly specifically. And I would like for us to notice those three questions. Because you see, it's Satan's desire to devour us. And if he can get us to ask these questions, then his job is already halfway done. Our duty is to resist the devil, to stand firm against him, and because of that, be strengthened and established by God. Look in 1 Peter. Chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 8, the Scripture there says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. If we learn to resist the devil. And if we resist him, the text says God will be with us. He will strengthen us. He will establish us. So this morning, get ready to learn these three questions that Satan wants you to ask and let's learn to avoid them. The very first question that Satan wants you to ask is how can I get out of the worship assembly? Satan wants you to ask this question before you even get out of bed in the morning. Your alarm goes off and he wants you to ask, man, can I get out of it today? Is there a reason that I can come up with so that I don't have to go and worship in the assembly today? What's worse than just giving us the question, Satan will also help us find an answer. Satan will help us play a game. It starts off, perhaps perhaps it works one day. Oh man, I just don't feel good enough to go. And then as we think about it more, we think, I just don't feel well. And then we miss and brethren call and ask us, where were you? We say, oh, I was sick. I'm amazed at the number of people that can make it to work with pounding headaches and upset stomachs. But come worship time, we sit back and say, now I know my boss wouldn't understand, but truly God understands. I just don't feel well. Of course, we've got sick, or not sick, but we've got tired and cranky kids. Certainly, if you are sick, I understand, and I believe God doesn't expect us to get everybody else sick here at the worship assembly. But we got tired and cranky kids. Or, man, I've worked all day and I'm just beat. Or, you know, last time I was there, Brother So-and-so didn't even talk to me. Satan will find answers if we ask the question, how can I get out of the assembly? How about this one? You know, you can't find one solitary verse in the Bible that says, I have to be there. But is that true? Let's remember God's answer in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. I probably don't even have to read this text to you. You've probably heard it so many times, but let's read it again anyway for emphasis and reminder's sake. 
God answered this question in Hebrews 10.25, and there He said, "...not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching." What we need to recognize here is that the Hebrew writer is writing to congregations of Hebrew Christians, and, and he points out to them that you've got to assemble. Don't forsake assembling. Churches are supposed to come together. But I want you to notice very clearly what God does not do here. God does not here say when, and He does not here say how often or how regularly or consistently. Notice that He actually leaves that up to us, to the congregation to decide, or the leadership of the congregation to decide how often the congregation is supposed to assemble. Now, some folks go through mental gymnastics and they talk about the Lord's Supper and believe that means only at the one assembly where we have the main Lord's Supper. That's not what it says here. He says the church is to assemble. And the implication is is that when the church has decided to assemble, then the members have to be there. That's God's answer. I am not to get out of the worship assembly, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's Sunday night, whether it's our short Wednesday night assembly, or whether it's a gospel meeting or some special assembly that has been called for the church to gather together to worship God and to exhort one another. I am not to get out of it. That's God's answer. Now, as I alluded earlier because of my verbal slip, I recognize that even in the New Testament times, there were reasons and are reasons and for which we might miss the worship assembly and it not be forsaking or abandoning. Certainly, if we're ill or sick, I don't believe God expects us to come and contaminate everybody around us. Perhaps working to provide essentials, obeying the command of God to provide for our family. I'm certain that in the New Testament, when people were thrown in prison for preaching the Word and they were there on Sunday, it wasn't forsaking the assembly. But I'll tell you what Hebrews 10.25 convinces me. And that is, is that I better be very careful of the reasons for which I miss the assembly because the command is, don't forsake. Don't willingly abandon. Don't voluntarily avoid and choose something else above assembling. This afternoon, Satan is going to work on us. He's going to try to get us to ask, how can I get out of assembling tonight? Of course, some people, he's already got them past even asking the question. Forsaking the assembly has become such a habit for them. But we need to recognize Satan's hand in causing us to forsake the assembly. Brethren, I certainly recognize that making it to all the assemblies does not equal spiritual maturity. But I certainly recognize that missing and forsaking the assemblies does equal spiritual immaturity. And that's what we need to understand. Recognize Satan's hand as he strives to sap the spiritual life from us. And don't allow him to get us to ask the question. And certainly, don't provide an answer. Satan wants us to ask, how can I get out of the worship assembly? But if that doesn't work and we actually show up, then he's got a second question. The second question is, what will I get out of the worship assembly? 
Now, this may sound like an appropriate question, but I want you to understand that it is not an appropriate question. This is a question that takes us away from understanding what we're coming for. This question wants us to focus our attention on ourselves. What will I get out of what's going on here? When I look through the Bible, I can find at least three objectives regarding our worship. And not a single one of them has to do with what will I get out of it. Look in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, of course, I recognize this passage is not about our assembly, but it's about worship. What we do in our assemblies. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, the Scripture there says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? When it comes to our worship, our worship is supposed to honor God. It's supposed to revere God. It's not about honoring me. It's not about revering me. It's not about doing what I want and following how I feel. It's about submitting myself to the Almighty God. That's one objective. But notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, specifically the objectives within our congregational assemblies, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, Paul here is talking about the worship assembly, gives lots of guidelines about it, but notice specifically in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. The purpose for us gathering, one of the objectives is to edify others, to build one another up. It's not about confusing others. It's not about saying a lot of things that sound like worship that nobody else can understand. It's about building folks up and helping them understand God more. And thirdly, notice verses 23 through 25. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. As we are here to honor and revere and worship God, as we edify one another, one of the other objectives for what we're doing this morning is to convict unbelievers. We might have unbelievers here this morning. And our duty is to convict them, to help them submit to Christ. Now notice, not a single one of those three things had anything to do with me. You know, it is almost cliche to hear people leave one church for another and complain, oh, I just never did get anything out of that over there. Or to hear folks leaving a sermon and saying, ah, I just didn't get anything out of that. That's a sad, sad situation. There are a lot of folks that want the worship assembly to be focused around them individually. They want the sermons preached on their favorite topics. They want their favorite songs. They want everything conducted the way they want it conducted. They want their favorite song leader. They want the message to move and to have some type of emotional impact to be entertained. 
Or perhaps they come to the assembly to find social relationships. These are the very people that we find leaving and complaining. You know, the sermon's always too long for my taste. Or perhaps, why those sermons are always too short for my taste. Some folks might leave complaining, you know, I don't like it when they let Brother So-and-so lead singing. Well, I sure wish they'd let Brother So-and-so lead. Some folks might complain, you know, I don't like it when we sing for just an hour. I wish they would let folks give a little talk. Other folks complain, you know, I don't like it when they let them have those little talks. I wish we'd just sing for an hour. Some folks complain, I got too hot or I was too cold. Brother so-and-so didn't talk to me or sister so-and-so cornered me and wouldn't know when to quit. Do you notice the common denominator in all those? I, I, I. Me, me, me. I don't want. I don't like. I wish. As though this whole assembly is brought about for my personal benefit and convenience and satisfaction. And that is just not the case. I don't assemble to worship. And we don't assemble to worship so that we can get something out of it. We assemble to worship so we can give something back to God. To humble ourselves and cast down our crowns. Remember Revelation 4 and 5? Cast down our crowns before God and exalt Him as the one worthy of worship. This isn't about me and getting what I want. This is about me surrendering myself to God and giving Him what He deserves. And if Satan can get us to ask this question, it causes us to lose our focus about what we're doing and takes the focus off of God as sovereign and puts it on me as sovereign. It's not about us. It's about serving God. That's why we do it. That's why we need to do it regularly. That's why we need to do it often. Because God deserves it. Instead of thinking about what I can get out of it, I need to think about what can I put in it. How can I sing more effectively and pray more effectively? I need to focus on the words of the songs and what they mean about God and what they mean to those around me. I need to focus on the prayers and pray them with the one leading. I need to think about what's going on in the Lord's Supper and focus on the death of our Lord. I need to focus on what's being preached and consider how does it apply to me and how can I improve. I need to focus on how can I be more edifying and convicting to those around me through the way I worship. And you know, the amazing thing is, is that this is quite the paradox, but when I think less about what I'm going to get out of it and more about what I'm going to put into it, that is the point when I start getting more out of it. Third question. When will I get out of the worship assembly? Now, this one, it goes along with the last. In fact, Satan tries to get us to ask it simultaneously with the last one. I'm not getting anything out of it, so when will I get out of here? But the problem is, this question distracts us from what's going on. This question is subtly dangerous, just like the last one. Because while we're asking it, we're sitting here. 
we're assembling with the saints and we're here and we're present and so everything's all right even though I'm asking these questions, right? Wrong. Look in John 4.24. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, Jesus talks about our worship and how we're supposed to do it to the woman at the well. And in John 4 and verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. We may be here attending, and we may be going through the motions of the truth and doing what is true, but if I'm spending my time wondering, when am I going to get out of here, my mind is distracted from what I'm doing, and I'm not worshiping in spirit. My spirit is not involved because my spirit's wondering what's happening on the game. My spirit's wondering, what am I going to get to eat for lunch? My spirit's wondering if the Baptists or Methodists are going to beat us to Luby's or whichever cafeteria is around here. Our spirit needs to be focused on what we're doing. Worshiping God. Look in Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8. And we're going to notice verses 5 and 6. In Amos chapter 8, verse 5, God talked about the Israelites regarding their worship on the Sabbath or the festival. And they were asking, when will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? And when is this worship going to be over? When can we get back to selling and buying? Of course, if we keep reading, we also find out that they were making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by the sea. They wanted to get back to corruption. I certainly hope no one here ever asked the question, when are we going to get out? Because I want to go sin as soon as we're done. But we shouldn't be asking those questions either. Anyway, when am I going to get out? Boy, what time is it? Looking at our watch, turning around, checking out the clock. When am I going to get out of here? We need to be focused on what we're doing, worshiping God in spirit and truth. I recognize the need for times of services. And I recognize the need for timely services. I recognize the fact that folks have some type of limitations at times about being able to sit on these pews for hours on end. I understand all that. And because of those factors and others, we keep that in consideration regarding the general length of our service times. But you know, once we're here, we're here. And we're supposed to be worshiping God in spirit and truth. And we don't need to spend our time focusing on the watch, wondering what's happening on the game or if we're going to make it to the game on time or wondering what's for lunch. We need to spend our time honoring and praising and devoting ourselves to our God, edifying one another and convicting the unbelievers that come in among us. That's what we need to be doing. And when it's over, it'll be over. And brethren, the worship assembly goes all the way till the dismissal prayer. I understand if someone has time constraints because of some other command of God that they're keeping. And so, ah, the sermon went a little bit long and I have to be at work at 12 and so I, it takes me 45 minutes to get there. I know we haven't got the dismissal prayer, but I'm leaving. I, all right, I'll allow for that. 
But the dismissal prayer is just as much a part of the assembly that we're not supposed to forsake as the Lord's Supper and the sermon. And when we're here, we need to be here. Dismissal prayer, invitation song, last few words of the sermon are still time to worship God. Not time to get our purses and pocketbooks together, close up our Bibles and get the kids shuffled together so we can make a beeline for the door. We're worshiping God. And that's what we need to be focused on. Satan wants us to ask these questions. How can I get out of the worship assembly? What will I get out of the worship assembly? When will I get out of the worship assembly? Don't let him ask those questions. And certainly don't give him answers. Worship God with the saints. Focus on honoring and praising God. Putting as much as you can into what we're doing. And stay here with us as long as we're here, both physically and mentally. Serving the Lord. That's what God deserves, don't you think? I think He deserves it. This is not an issue of, boy, God has a rule, I better follow it, otherwise I'm going to get zapped. This is an issue of our God went so far for us as to send His Son to die for us. I think He deserves our worship with the saints. Don't you? Would you pull out your songbooks, please?